Okay, let's look at the Word of God this morning. Genesis 44, as we continue our look at the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 44, we'll read uh, verses 1 to 3 this morning just to commence the actual sermon. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll commit this time to him. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you uh, for its perfection, its, um, uh, its ability to be able to feed our faith, and help us to grow and help us to understand. So we just pray for your leading this morning. I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would guide us into your truth, that you would grant us the grace that we need not just to, uh, to be able to take this truth into our lives, but to live it. So we pray for your blessing this morning uh, through the work of your Spirit within our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we looked at chapter 43, which we completed. And in that particular chapter, um, their father Jacob had consented uh, for them to go back to Egypt a second time because they had run out of food again. And the... The condition was that if they were, they were to go back to Egypt, they had to bring Benjamin with them. If you remember, Simeon was being held as a hostage, essentially, until they brought back Benjamin to prove their story because they had said that they weren't spies. Joseph was insisting they were spies. And because they had said, told him that they had, a, they had a younger brother that was at home with their father, he said, well, bring your younger brother here and then that will prove to me that, um, you know, that your story is true. So after much convincing and, and after Judah stepped up and said, Dad, I'll take the full responsibility. If something goes wrong, it'll be my blame for everything, but I'll be surety for him as well. So if something goes wrong, I'll go to his place. Remember how I shared that with you as a way that Christ became the surety for us. Christ took our place. And so they arrive for the second time, the whole family with Benjamin in tow, with more money in their sacks. Remember, their father had instructed them to take a present to him as well, to Joseph. Give him some honey and some nuts and some things and, you know, make sure that you uh, you present yourself well and bring back double the money. Because they, when they had arrived home the first time, their money was still in their, in their bags. And they thought, oh no, we're going to be in more trouble now because they hadn't received the money for the food that they'd, they'd uh, bought. So they, their dad gave them some pretty wise instructions and said, I want you to take double the money back now and present that to him along with the gifts and God will go with you and by his grace, you'll come back. So they head back. And what's interesting about the second time they head back because he had treated them quite badly the first time. He'd spoken to them badly and, and he'd sort of accused them of things that they, they didn't believe or they knew wasn't true anyway. Anyway, they, they get back there and the first person they see is Joseph, essentially, as soon as they see him. And Joseph directs the manager of his household to take them to his place and get lunch ready for them. Now, how would you be? I mean, the, the ruler of Egypt now is inviting you to his place for lunch. And so as they go to the, 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 they approach the door, they're talking probably all along the way. What's this guy up to? We've already got in trouble once. Now he wants to come to his house. 
I mean, what'll be, what's going to happen here? He's going to try and incriminate the whole lot of us here, and we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So as they're thinking, they think, well, what do we do? So they thought to themselves, let's, before we enter that front door, let's talk to his, you know, he's the manager of his house, the steward of his house. He seems like a reasonable sort of guy. We'll tell him the full story about what happened and how we, we got home and our money was still in our bags and we didn't we didn't know and, and how we weren't, you know, how we weren't uh, spies or anything like that. So they got to the front door and they none of them walked in, but they shared this story with him and they told him the full details of it. And he... If you turn back to Genesis 43, verse 23, he gives them this really amazing response. And he says to them, Peace be to you, in verse 23, Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. So all of a sudden, things looked rosy. And so this mediator who they had approached to try to, you know, to try to be that, that, that person in between them and, and an angry sort of Joseph um, came and gave them some really good news. Don't worry, it's God who's taking care of all this. I had, the, I had your money, which means God had instructed him to put it back in their sacks. Don't, you don't have to, you've got nothing to worry about. So he invited them in the house, prepared them all, made sure their, their, their feet were clean and made lunch. These guys are all sitting there in the ruler of Egypt's house. And they don't know it's Joseph, their own brother, who's about to walk in that door. But Joseph hadn't finished with his plan yet, you see. Joseph had in his mind he was going to end up sending them all back home and keeping Benjamin with him. He wanted to spend some quality time with his brother, with his little brother who he hadn't seen for 20 plus years. This is his little brother from the same mother. And so he wanted to spend some time with his brother and send the rest of them back and maybe get them back later on. So his plan hadn't finished yet. And so he instructed his servants in these first three verses to not only fill up their sacks with as much grain as they could carry back home because he wants his family fed, he wants them to do well, but he says, all right, put their money back again, back in their sacks. But on top of that, what I'd like you to do is to take my special cup, this silver cup that he'd been given as a ruler of Egypt, which he drank from. Um, I want you to put my own cup, which probably had his insignia on it or something like that, into the youngest one's bag. And so they sent them off. Joseph was already known as an, an interpreter of dreams. You see, if you remember, more than once, he'd interpreted other people's dreams and he was seen as a very wise man. And, and um, in those countries, if you were a ruler or if you were someone in a high position, like a, like a high priest or something like that, you were known to do divination. And they would do this in a number of different ways. You would uh, work out what the truth was by doing something or work out what the future was going to bring. Now, Joseph didn't need a cup to be doing any divination. Joseph wasn't doing any divination, but he was known as the wisest uh, man in all of the kingdom there. But this cup was often seen in conjunction with this thing of divination where they would speak or whisper into the cup and then listen what was coming back. So in verse 4, we now have in Genesis chapter 44. 
says, and when they were gone out of the city, so they've all packed their bags, that, that silver cup, his own personal silver cup is in Benjamin's bag. When they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, saying to them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. So he instructs them, as soon as they leave the boundary of the city, go and catch up with them. And when you catch up with them, say, Why have you guys rewarded my master's good? He fed you. He looked after you. He gave you all the grain you needed. And he's even put money back in your sacks again. Why have you rewarded? By stealing a cup from him. And so, as they say in um, the Sherlock Holmes novels, the game was afoot. Okay? The game was afoot. Verse 6 then says, and he did just that. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. Exactly what? Joseph had told them to say. Verse 7, it says, And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? Why would you say such a thing? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths. We brought it again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be thy Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Okay, so he overtakes them. He makes the accusation. And they said, Why would we steal? Look at the money we brought here. We still got it. Our, our, our asses, our, 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 our carry animals here are fully laden with food. Why would we then go and steal uh, some a silver cup when we've got all our money still with us. We weren't we we weren't trying to cover anything up. We want didn't want to um, uh, defraud you. That's why we brought back double the money the second time. And so they were so confident. They were so confident that he wouldn't find the cup. That they said, "Well, whoever you find it in, if you want it, we'll go through our sacks." We'll, we'll uncover all of our sacks. Whichever bag you find it in, you can kill that person. You can kill us. You can kill that one. And the rest of us will be your servants forever. That's a pretty bold thing, isn't it? That's a lot of confidence. And he said, knowing Joseph's plan, he said, no, 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 no. He goes, let it be like this. Whoever we find this cup, whose sack in, in his sack we find this cup, he will become our servant. He will become my servant, and the rest of you can just go. All right? And so, verse 11, then says, Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched, and began at the eldest, which you do, and left and ended with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Out of all the ones they had to find it in was Benjamin's. And they were so upset with this. It says they rent their clothes, okay, which means they ripped their clothes the same way you would do when someone dies, okay, when you have some really grievous thing happening. And they rent their clothes and laid every man his ass 
and return to the city. So can you imagine their hearts at this point? They were just outside the city. <laughs> they had all their money still with them. They had Benjamin with them. They had Simeon back with them. They were headed home with a full sack. Dad was going to be absolutely wrapped, wasn't he? And now, what direction are they heading? Back into Egypt. Back into Egypt, but with the prospect of one or more of them now being thrown into jail. And it was Benjamin, the one that they promised their dad they were going to bring back to him. He's the guy who's got the thing. Did he do it? Did he not? Benjamin, didn't you see that there was a, a silver cup in your sack? What are you doing? Can you imagine the, the, the arguments I would have had? They're good Jewish boys, you know? It's... So anyway, it would have been such a shock to them. They would have been quite distraught. That's why they, they ripped their clothes. But to their, to their credit, and Judah had to go back because Judah had made this commitment to not leave Benjamin there by himself, okay? But they all went back. They all packed up their, their stuff and they all headed back to their credit all the way back to Egypt. They could have gone. They could have said, all right, Benjamin, bad luck for you, mate. You messed up. The, sack, the, the silver cup was in your, your bag. Whatever you did, you shouldn't have done it. But they didn't. They all went back towards Egypt. And this is where we see Judah now starting to step up. Because Judah had made a commitment to be the, the one who was in his place. He took the responsibility to be the surety for Benjamin if something went wrong. And so, to look at what it says here in verse 14. It says, And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. So he was still at home. And they fell before him on the ground, as you do when you're the guilty party. And Joseph said unto him, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine, which means I know what's right and what's, what's wrong. I know uh, what's going on because I've got the ability to be able to do that, as you do. When they got back to Joseph, they threw themselves on the ground and he continued to accuse them um, with these words. But Judah remembers the promise that he had made to his father. The one he said, Dad, I'm not going, I'm going to be the one who's going to take all the blame if something goes wrong here, but I'm going to make sure I'm the surety for my brother. And so he begins to say, so Judah steps up now and he begins to speak because they're in a, a difficult situation here. In verse 16, 16, it says, And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. So Judah let me stay instead of the lad as a bondman to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father. I can't bear to see this. Let me be the one who, who you keep. He didn't steal anything. He simply wanted to do the right thing by his father. And in this 
he becomes a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who willingly came to this earth. He became the surety for all of us. And this is his act of propitiation. In this act that he did for us on Calvary's cross, he took our place. We should have been there. He willingly took our place. And this is the love of God. That And what's amazing is that this, this story of God's love for mankind is seen over and over and over again in the Bible, in these stories of men who are willing to sacrifice their own, the thing that's most precious to them, and give that for the Lord or for someone else. You see, Jesus was our propitiation. He appeased the justice of God perfectly. You know, jo Joseph had every right to keep um, Benjamin a prisoner. He was bound with the guilty stuff in his sack, even though it was all a contrived sort of thing. But he was the one that was incriminated. And Joseph didn't know that. But Joseph was willing to wear the punishment, and Jesus willingly wore the punishment for us. He satisfied not only God's justice, he satisfied God's wrath, and his righteous justice was appeased by his own life. Judah had a pretty strong determination to carry this thing through, to see this commitment, this promise through for his brother. I don't think Judah knew whether Benjamin had taken it or not. I think he he simply said, this is what's happened, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm here now, and I'm going to follow this thing through. Judah travelled from his home with that promise in hand into Egypt to see his brother Simeon rescued from bondage and to bring back Benjamin's life back to his father. But something has gone terribly wrong. Yeah, Jesus came down, that picture of travelling from Canaan to Egypt to rescue and then bring back. And Judah's determined for that to happen even if he has to get stuck in Egypt is that picture of Christ coming into this dark earth to rescue us and bring us back home. And so let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus come to the earth? You know, one of the distinguishing things that I find with most people who follow Christianity as a religion, who are involved in some religious aspect uh, in, in many of the mainline denominational churches, is if you ask them a simple question, why did Jesus come to the earth? They struggle to answer that question. They don't know. There is no main underlying reason he came. But the Bible tells us why he came into this earth. And I want to share that with you this morning. Go back with me just to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse So John 3.16, you all know very well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that so whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So most of you have heard that plenty of times before. But look at verse 17 now. Why did God send his son into the world? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did God send? Why did Jesus come into the world? To save the world. 
He came as a, as a rescuer, as the saviour of the world. And so we have this, this, this picture of God loving what's undeserving so much. He's bestowing his love on us so much when we were evil and, and we still are. We still have this old nature connected to us. We are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And God still pours out his love on us and he gives us grace and mercy and everything that we need much more abundantly we can ever even imagine. And on top of that, he, he sends the thing that, which is most precious to him. And he says, all right, I'm going to send you my arm, my beloved. I'm going to send you down to rescue them because they can't save themselves. So Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. But there are, but this is diminished in many churches. This picture is muddled. It's, it becomes cloudy. They mix it up with other things so that it's not pure in its message any, any longer. And what I find most disconcerting is that most modern Bible translations actually diminish that even more. Would you... Would you find it interesting if there were verses that spoke about this, that Jesus coming to the world to save sinners being taken out of other, other, other Bibles? It does. I'm going to give you two examples of it. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 54 with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. So here we have Jesus walking with his disciples into a Samaritan town. And they, and they ask the people of the town, can you take us in for, uh, for a night or whatever else it is? And they refuse. And the people of a Samaritan town say, no, we want nothing to do with you. And so James and John, the sons of thunder, as they were known, must have been pretty... Um, uh, uh, responsive guys uh, or reactive guys said, uh, Lord, uh, you want us to destroy these people since they've rejected us? As you do. Right? And this is the response. Luke 9.54 And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven? And consumed them, even as Elias did. And verse 55 then says, But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not of what spirit you are of. Okay? The next verse in your KJV says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You see verse 56? You see there where it says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them? You know in the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the Good News, and a whole range of other modern-day Bibles? doesn't have it. It simply says, And they went to another village. They left. So it finishes off with, Well, you don't know what spirit you are. Let's go. See ya. That's how it finishes. You might think, wow, that's a, that's a pretty big thing to leave out, that he didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to actually save them. And if it was just one, you might think, ah, you know, one, all right. They made a mistake with that one. Um, it's not just one. You remember when the children 
parents were sending their children to Jesus. And the disciples were getting a bit upset. They were saying all these children were getting in the way. Turn with me to Matthew 18. You see, children coming to Jesus for some was a, a nuisance. But for Jesus it wasn't. In Matthew 18.10 it says, Take heed, and he's rebuking his disciples. He says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Lovely verse, isn't it? That's where we get the idea of guardian angels. Okay. But in your, in your Bible... It says, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Do you realise that in all modern translations, that verse is not even there? Not even there. Completely gone. There is no verse 11. If Jesus didn't come to save children, who did he come to save? No, Jesus, there is a reason that Jesus came into the world. And it was to save people. And Judah is a picture of that. He was now determined to save his brother. He was determined to make sure that he would take his place willingly, whatever the cost was to his own life. Now, God could have left us slaves to our own sin. He could have left us imprisoned because we were imprisoned to our own sin. He could have left us, let us go to spend the rest of eternity away from his presence, his love. But instead, he was determined to save us. And his son showed every determination to follow that through. And that's why 1 John 4 9 says, And this was meant, and this. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And so after Judah's plea to Joseph, I'm going to get you to turn to chapter 45 to finish this off because I couldn't leave it there. Sorry, I'll have to keep it nice and neat, but I can't. And we see how Judah's words about his father, about the love that his father has for Benjamin, how his heart was already broken because he'd lost Joseph, affected Joseph just too much. And in verse 1, it says of Genesis 45, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. This is a beautiful time. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh all heard it. Even though Joseph had sent all of the Egyptian servants out, he says, get out all of you. I need to speak to these people by myself. And he's weeping so loud that well, not only all the Egyptians heard it in the other rooms, but the house of Pharaoh heard it as well, which must have been either next door or part of, or part of the same house. 
Joseph's heart was bursting, must have been bursting at, at Judah's words. His father's heart, if you recall, his father loved him so much. Remember, he gave him that, that coat. He cared for him. He kept him separate, kept him like a, a very precious thing. He remembered his father's love for him and how his father's heart would have been broken all those years because of his loss. He knew that very well now. And how could, how could he break his father's heart again? By withholding Benjamin from him. His heart must have yearned for his little brother to spend time with him. But now he realized he couldn't do that without destroying something else. His own father. And so in verse 3, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Can you imagine these guys? This guy's been talking to them in Egyptian all this time, through an interpreter. All of a sudden, this guy starts crying, sends all the interpreters out of, of his household, and he starts talking to them in Hebrew. Hang on a sec. You mean you could speak Hebrew all this time? He's dressed up. Full Egyptian garb, right? He looks like an Egyptian. He eats like an Egyptian. He's got, he, he's a ruler of Egypt. All of a sudden he says, I'm Joseph. And it says there, they couldn't answer. What do you say? I mean, these guys have been caught out a number of times now. With, they can't say anything. When the, when the thing, when the drought started and they're there in front of their dad, and they're looking at each other and they goes, what are you looking at each other for? Hurry up and get a move on down to Egypt. Then when they, when they, when they, or they came back home and all the money was still in their sacks. Once again, they're looking around at each other. What's going on? Now they're looking at it again. And this is a serious flabbergasted look. This guy just said he's Joseph. And he's speaking to us in our language. And he's asking about dad. I mean, the term gobsmacked is probably just right for this one. And they weren't getting it. It just wasn't clicking. So Joseph comes closer and says, come here, come closer to me. And revealed a bit of information that only he could have known. Look in verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold unto Egypt or into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And so Joseph tells them, It's me. Remember what you did? Remember how you threw me into that pit and you were going to sell me off to slaves as a slave to Egypt? Well that's what happened. I know exactly what happened. Only he and they knew that particular story. And he's now the ruler of Egypt after all these years. And he's telling them, I'm your brother who you haven't seen for some 20 odd years. And he says, don't get angry. Don't be angry with yourselves and don't be upset because this has all happened for something good. God has allowed all this thing to happen to me in order that you and our family could be saved. 
So once again, now Joseph mirrors this picture of Jesus, who was in, went into Egypt in order that he, his own family, could be saved. All the bad that had befallen Joseph, their brother's evil toward him, he's being sold into slavery, he's in prison, and all the stuff, all the chapters we've read so far, all those things were there so they could be saved. It was because of Joseph that both Egypt and the world that were being affected by a famine could be saved. And this was the beginning of the reconciliation of Joseph with his brothers. For 20 years, they had been alienated from each other. For 20 years and more, they had been separated from each other. He probably had some animosity towards them for what they had done to him with all the all the suffering they had gone through. They were feeling guilty for 20 plus years, hiding that stuff from their dad of what they did to their dad because they had told their dad that a, an, a wild animal had, had, had killed him probably. And now this was the beginning of what we call reconciliation, which is the message that we've been entrusted with, by the way. God's entrusted us with a message of reconciliation, the reconciliation between God and man. And that occurs through the mediator, Jesus Christ, who sits between those two parties. Joseph had forgiven his brothers. When you go to someone who had done you wrong and done some serious wrong, and you say, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves. This was all happening for, this has all happened for a reason. And so we see the suffering of Christ his death, his burial, and the reason that he came to this earth and the fulfillment of the salvation of mankind in this story. God allowed this suffering in order that a much greater good would come out of it. Some of the worst thing that has ever happened in mankind, there are plenty of bad things that have happened in this world where people have killed each other, wars and, and, and terrible things that man has done to each other, the worst thing in the history of mankind was when man took the innocent son of God and they crucified him like a common criminal. That is the worst thing that man has ever done. But in that worst thing that man has ever done, God did the greatest thing that he's ever done. God allowed his own son to suffer in order that a much greater good would be achieved. And we're sitting here rejoicing in that because his son was pretty determined to see the job through. The love of God was revealed in the sufferings of his son. The salvation of God was achieved through the sufferings of his son. God's own love for us was so great that he was willing to let go of that thing which was most precious to him, and he did. And he tasted death for all of us, and he tasted sin for all of us, and he tasted justice for all of us. And he had a determination that I cannot fathom to go to that place that he had, that he had never been before. He had never tasted sin, never been separated from his father, never done anything wrong to wear all of our junk, to wear all of our sin and iniquity and hatred and everything else that we have lurking within us, to wear all that and, and to say, I'll happily carry it for you and take your punishment as well. What a determination we have in our Saviour. 
and we can see that if we're saved. If, you, if you're saved this morning, you've, ta- you've had a taste of his love. You've had a taste of his determination for you. You've had a taste of how important he thinks you are to him because he would not be spending that much. You see, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. You do not, do not spend that much and let go of that much for something that you don't value. And we might look at ourselves and say, oh, what's worth in me? Look at me. But it's not the value that we put on ourselves. It's what the value of the buyer puts on what he's willing to pay for it. And you, my friends, are very, very expensive. You cost God a lot. And sometimes if we don't understand that, we, we fail. If we don't understand how much God loves us, how much God treasures you and me, we miss that mark. So we can see that if we're saved this morning, and if we're not, we haven't tasted that. We haven't comprehended that. Our eyes have not been opened to that yet. And that's what I pray for you this morning. If you're here and you haven't been saved, my prayer for you is that you would just get a glimpse, just a little bit, of that amazing love that God has for you. And that love will change you in a moment if you just receive him. If you've not received the love of God this morning in Christ Jesus, this is your invitation. This is the time to do it. There is no better time than now. And there is no more seconds to waste because each second lost is lost for all eternity. So this is the time for your heart to be made new, for your sins to be fully cleansed by that precious blood that he shed for you and for you to receive something so precious we can't even wrap our heads around it. Eternal life, something that never ends, something that's always together with God now, never forsaken, never forgotten, always treasured and guaranteed and sealed. So this morning is a chance for you to repent. Change your mind about God. Change your mind about yourself and how you might be trying to work your way toward heaven or how good you think you might be or whatever road you think you're on that you're trying to achieve in your life. Now is the time to repent and say, God, now let me just stop here for a moment. I think I agree with you. That's what repentance is. Repentance is giving up your, your silly and foolish thoughts about yourself, the, the Bible that you wrote for yourself about your life and who God should be and how he should be and saying, I'm going to put that book aside and I'm going to actually take your book. And your book says this about me. And you're right. And I accept it. But I also accept what you've done. And I see how much you love me. So now is a time, this morning is a time, if you don't know him, to receive him as your saviour and that you would know him as your king, as your Lord. And for those of you who are saved and you might be going through difficult times, which we all do from time to time, sometimes it's difficult for us to see what's going on or the hand of God in the middle of going through difficult times in our lives. You know, Joseph was in prison more than once and he was there for years. And sometimes we're in the middle of a prison and it's dark and there's, there's confusing and there's things going on around you and you can't see the hand of God in the whole thing when you go through sufferings. But there is no suffering, no place that you can find yourself where his hand is already not, where he doesn't know exactly where you are 
He's not always, he's not actually empathizing with you, sympathizing with you, where his love is ever diminished for you. His hand is always there working on your life for your good. And Joseph may not have been able to see that bigger picture in prison while he was there a few years before, but now what he sees is the big picture, doesn't he? He's got his brothers in front of him. They're reconciled. He's now in a pivotal position to be a blessing to them, to save his whole family, to save the world because of the information God had given him. And now he sees the big picture. But sometimes you don't see the big picture. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the actual story, it's hard to see what the ending is like. But this is where faith comes into it. Because where you have faith, you trust the storyteller. You trust the one telling the story. You trust the one directing. Because he knows what the end is. And every one of you has a story that God is directing at the moment. You may not like the path you're on. You may not like the position you're in at the moment, but I will guarantee you that one day the picture will click and come together. And you'll look back and you'll say, how didn't I see that? How didn't I know? How didn't I understand his hand, how it's been in my life and how he's directed me all this way? What a wonderful picture the Lord is going to show each and every one of us one day when he takes our life and says, look what I did here through you. Look at the wonderful result of me guiding you, even through the hard times. God bless you.